The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. We are live. Okay. Hi. I'm Bill Amadeo. From Manus and Amadeo, Agreeable and Associates, and I guess the Shiawassee, I don't know what the hell that is anymore, and it's been a minute since we had some content, and I gotta do some content, so let me catch you guys up on a few things, shall we? First... Been crazy with work. Been crazy with trials. I am. Um, I'm stunned. I actually found out in one case that opposition admitted to destroying evidence. We won't talk about specifics here, but um, there's a war coming. And in the midst of all that, two male figures from my life have passed away. And I have not discussed these people publicly. Today is going to be the first revelation of these issues. And I got a text from someone who apparently... I guess they follow my life, if you would. And they text me... Someone from the past. And they text me and tell me how sorry they are for my losses how they hope I'm holding up okay you know it's weird this person when my mom died didn't say anything and I could tell this individual well I understand you have this desire to connect because well how I have money now and I'm successful right I'm not that poor law student who you weren't sure was going to make it big. You're like 16 years too late, and then you pick these individuals to console me with. Alrighty then. Let's go back to Willow Avenue for a minute. And we'll start with my Uncle Matt. Matty Duke. Matt Neary. He passed away. My cousins call me James Rodea Sr. and Jr. What I could say about Jamesy and his son is they are two of the best people I've ever had the pleasure of having connection with. And in some ways, I feel like they're the last of my family. Uncle Matt died, and... You weren't surprised about that. And it's weird how an Uncle Matt's story is going to be causation into the second person that passed away. But I was told Uncle Matt passed away. And my uncle and I had a very interesting relationship. Love you too, cuz. My uncle led a very different life. 
And he's kind of the last of Willow Avenue. You know? On Willow Avenue, there was Ant-Mare, who was our leader. There was Mom, who was like my big sister. She'll play a role in this later. A bigger role in part two. <sighs> Grandpop. And it was the four of us living in that house. That little shithole on Willow Avenue in the hood next to fucking Pitney Village. And it was hell. And Uncle Matt would show up sometimes. We never had a normal relationship because my Uncle Matt was somebody who was a transient. He was on the run. He was a brilliant man. And in his heart of hearts, he was a good man. But he wasn't there the way you would hope an uncle would be there. He just didn't have that in him. But there was love there. You know? One of the reasons I feel I've excelled as a criminal lawyer is because my uncle Matt taught me so many things. You see, guys, from where I come from, which is the hood, I was somewhat sheltered from the hood. I was, as they put the golden boy in the ghetto, I was the one they saw could make it out, somewhat protected. But then when hell broke loose, and it did, that golden boy persona kind of broke. And you had to be tough, or at least pretend to be tough. And I guess people always commend me for my balls. So when I see a shady police officer or an attorney general threatening me, it's kind of funny because it's not like MS-13 or the Pitney Lions threatening me. You're a joke because I've seen hell and I know what it's like. And if there's one thing I could give my uncle credit for is he taught me how to survive hell a little bit. The one great punch I have is this amazing right hook. And I was not a good boxer. And those that followed me know that. But Uncle Matt taught me how to throw a right hook like nobody else. And my right hook saved my ass so many times. It was a dysfunctional relationship with him and Aunt Mare. Aunt Mare was always trying to keep the family together. Uncle Matt was running based on his lifestyle. I don't ever heard my uncle tell me he loved me. And I used to tell him that. And it just was something he couldn't say. I didn't understand him. I thought he was a great writer. I think underneath that... That badassery, if you would. Because he was true in Atlantic City badass. You could do the math there. During a crazy time... He was a crazy person. And there were things he did in his life that he did not want me exposed to. And I appreciate that. As I chose my profession in life, as I found my way, there were things he taught me about cases that just made sense. Because I feel criminal law is like a street fight. And the thing is, some of your opponents in criminal have never been in a street fight. They think it's in a textbook. Matt Neary taught me to look beyond the textbook. Matt Neary taught me some lessons I didn't need to know. 
but he taught me some lessons that were about survival. And I have no issue paying for his funeral. I have no issue juggling my schedule to be there. I have no issue flying his son, Jimmy, in for the funeral. And I know some of you guys that follow me know you've heard me talk about Jimmy before. And out of respect for all involved, I'm going to end on that portion of this and just say, wherever you are, Unc, I do love you. I appreciate you on some levels, but I never understood you. And to my cousins, James and Jamesy, thank you so much for taking the lead on this. Because if it wasn't for you guys, I'm sure he'd be in a box somewhere and wouldn't even know he was gone. So you guys, he loved you, he adored you. I don't know if he ever told you that, but he did. And I think you guys were who he was close with in this world. You know, the term father... Such a powerful term. Where I come from, most people don't have the father in the picture. And people, this hurts them a great deal. In some ways, Uncle Matt was a father figure. But when I think of the term father and the word dad... I think of some role models in my life. People I have tremendous respect for. People I've looked up to on some levels. And I think of Sam Ioli, who was my Uncle Sam. Referred to as my cousin. He was really my cousin, but he was like a father figure and such a tremendous human being. I think of my cousin Jamesy, who the ultimate family guy kept everything going I think of Jerry Dowdy who I miss a lot was a bartender at Chop and he told me to just go for it and risk everything to go to law school then I think of people I met in Michigan I look at Scott Corner who is this prosecutor in Shiawassee and I watch the relationship he has with Zach his son and it's admirable. Um, I think of Tim Livingston from Livingston County. And when I was a scared rookie lawyer, he taught me things. He didn't have to. He was like a role model. I look at his daughter, who's a great lawyer, and I say Tim played a role in that. Scott Grable's a great father. Like a big brother to me. Mark Green, Andy Longusky. These are people that I just respect on so many levels. And I think Judge Matthew Stewart really takes the cake for me. Because I watched Judge Stewart literally bury his son, who died way too young. And through his grief, he literally created the mental health court in Shiawassee. And that's a man. That's somebody you admire. Not Bill Amadeo Sr., who also passed away this week. When I learned of my father's death, 
I thought of my Uncle Matt. And my Uncle Matt, one of the things he was most proud of is that he put a gun to my father's head so my father would sign the birth certificate. Because as Italian Catholics, that was a big thing. And even towards the last days of Uncle Matt's life, the last communications I had with him, he said to me a couple things. Don't ever forget, I put a gun to your father's head so he would sign that birth certificate. And number two, don't ever give your father money. He played nothing to do with your success. And you know, and it's kind of weird. <laughs> My Uncle Matt, who I do love, that was a bonding moment, I believe, in his mind. That he threatened to kill my father, so my father would sign the birth certificate for the teenager he knocked up. And this week has been odd, because um, Danielle Camp Smith, my sister, who was abandoned by my father. Michael Amadio, my brother. We've connected this week over the passing of my father. And I'm trying to think to myself right now, as I'm in the lead here, because I'm the lawyer that the cop reached out to, to break this news about Dad's passing. And I've been at the forefront doing stuff, and I'm telling my brother and sister, hey, we're a team, we're in this thing. And if we find any money, we'll split it three ways. I don't know what to even think of my father. I never had anger towards my father. I just think some people were not meant to be parents. That's what I feel. Like, some people were not meant to be parents. Just because you have sex without a condom and knock somebody up does not mean you're meant to be a parent. And I always heard my aunt say, your father is actually a good man, he's just confused. As I'm talking to Mike and Danielle, my siblings, and we've talked more the last week than we have our whole lives, I think of Judge Stewart, and I think of Bill Amadio Sr., and I'm thinking to myself, my God, what a great parent to have, Judge Stewart, how lucky his children are and were, and thank God. God, and I mean this in my mother's life, thank God my father was not in the picture. And I, I just gotta be real about shit right now. I mean, going over memories, I'm talking to my siblings. I guess the story starts when Uncle Matt put a gun to Dad's head to sign the birth certificate. Let's start with that. Let that marinate for a moment. But I think it's important to know how Dad met Mom. At the time, Dad was an Atlantic City cop. And Mom was a very lonely teenager. Very pretty girl but she had no friends and she lived in the ghetto and they forced her to go to Holy Spirit and she hated it there and she used to take the bus home and my father sold this very pretty tiny 16 year old girl 
and he was the good-looking Atlantic City cop who was dealing drugs and running prostitutes, from what I'm told, wasn't there, but it makes sense, and he groomed my mom, um, yeah, so mom was in love with him, and I, I'm kind of, you know, confused about that, but okay, mom was in love with that. He knocked her up when she was 17, and as mom would tell me stories about my father and how they met, how they dated, and this and that, um, she would cry and tell me how he owned a bar in Atlantic City, and how she would go there to eat cheese sandwiches and wait for him, and he would fucking charge her for the food at his bar when he then went to go fuck her. A teenager. And then he knocked her up, of course, and he didn't say it wasn't his, though my mom was a virgin, so it had to be yours, right, Dad? I mean, in Christ, if you look at him and look at me, there's really no fucking doubt who my father is, but he was abusive to Mom. But I really did appreciate when Mom died um, when I was in law school, and he wrote at the Atlantic City Press, I'm sorry for your loss. That was huge, bro. My memories growing up are somewhat sporadic. And I'm just going to share some of them right now. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll bring a few of them in. I remember we were broke <laughs> when I was a kid, and we were on welfare. My grandpa lost his job, and I thought we were going to get evicted. And I called Dad to borrow $200 so we wouldn't get kicked out with my animals. And um, he didn't give us that $200, though he also wasn't paying child support. So, I mean, that kind of fit the bill. Uh, he said he would, but he didn't. And somehow I found a way at a very young age to come up with the $200 so we weren't homeless. Appreciate that. Um, I remember wanting to buy this brand new Steve Garvey glove. My mom was a big Steve Garvey fan. And I was becoming a really good baseball player. It's like a $30 glove, which was a big number back then. And I called Dad. And uh, he was too busy for that. Um. <laughs> my confirmation, big thing in the Catholic world, he didn't show up. He's probably getting late somewhere. But the high school years may have been my favorite. You see, growing up white in Ducktown... And having to fucking survive that. Um, I saw dad one day. And he was driving. And I was waiting for a jitney. And I'm looking around and I'm scared I'm going to get fucked up. Because that happened frequently back then. And he pulled over to the side for a minute. I said, oh, dad, glad you're there. Can I get a ride? He goes, well, no, no, I can't give you a ride. I'm going somewhere. He goes, but they're coming after you. Hide around the boardwalk. That's a better way to go. Good luck. And he drove off. I, I survived that day. Thanks, Dad. When my grandmother died, I was told I was left money. It was Dad's um, grandma. It was Dad's mom. And I found out later that because my dad and I had the same name, 
and he knew my social security number. He actually forged documents to steal that money. So that was helpful. One of the proudest moments my dad had of me was in college. I ran into him, and at that time I was dating three different girls. And he took pride in that at the time, and he told me how, son, it's important to keep your lies straight so you don't find out about each other. Talking to Mike and Danielle this week, that kind of, the data fits. There's two other memories that truly come to mind about my father. When I was 17, I was almost arrested. New Jersey State Troopers came to our house at Willow Avenue, and they had a warrant for William Amadio. And the state troopers are looking at me, and are you William Amadio? Yeah? I don't know what to do, and my aunt's freaking out. My boy didn't do anything wrong. And the state trooper goes, we have the address, we have the name, we know it's you, you need to come with us. And the question was, what am I being charged with? And it was failure to pay child support. So they had the wrong William Amadio, and somehow my father gave my address and whatever communication I had with the police. That was good. Um, my aunt actually told the state troopers that it was my father, and here's how this match up, because I couldn't possibly have a child that age. And uh, they, she told them where to go find Dad. And Dad was very pissed off, saying how Mary Lee, why would you tell the police where to find me? Well, I guess she didn't want her nephew and son being arrested for child support. It wasn't his obligation. Remember the chicken money. This is a funny story. A kind gesture, one of the few my father did. My aunt was in line at ShopRite. And she was $17 short because we didn't have much money. And my dad was in line near her. And dad said, don't worry, I'll cover the 17 bucks." And he gave her a 10, a 5, and two ones. <sighs> and my aunt was so thrilled. She's like, wow. Your father made sure we had food. He gave us the $17. I was putting groceries back because we were overdrawn at the grocery store. And I'm like, alright. Well, that was nice of him. Whatever. At this point, I'm uh, working high school kid. And my father owned a bar, Billingsley's, on Chelsea Avenue. Next, people may know that bar. And I just bought my $500 1983 Camaro, which didn't always run. And it was the first time our family was able to really, you know, go somewhere. So we had a vehicle that worked sometimes. And money is extremely tight. And I couldn't go off to the college I wanted to to help support my family. My aunt says to me, Billy, your father gave me that $17 for the chicken and other food. And uh, he's a reason your animals were able to eat peacefully. And I want you to offer him that money back. He'll never accept it. Now, I'm learning a little bit about life at this point, right? I'm a kid. And I said, Aunt Mayor, I don't want to offer that money back to him. She goes, no, 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 you do that. He'll never accept it. And I said to her, if I offer him $20 and he takes it, 
I might not have gas money and this and that and she goes honey our family is one of honor you offer your father that money back and he's a man he'll never take that money and I go into the bar and I say hey dad um Aunt Mare said you gave her $17 um, for food at ShopRite, and she wanted me to offer you the money. And I pulled out this $20 bill, which was big money to me back then. And he grabbed the 20 He said, good, tell her we're even. the pride he had because he always wanted to be a criminal defense lawyer when my career took off he would Facebook me see you're working on this case and blah 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 and he would tell me about police stealing evidence he would give me tips on that because that was something he knew about from his time as a cop and the Bobby Reyes case my god he was so proud because at this point, Dad had found God. He was very religious. Very pro-life. And he... The fact that his namesake was fighting U of M and taking on the Bobby Reyes matter. And I was, like, in the newspapers where he was at. And he would see his boy. And he goes, I'm so proud that the Amadio name is doing such big things. And I'm sitting there reading this DM... And at that point, you know, I'm out of my mind on the Bobby Reyes case because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm fighting for this kid and U of M's got their 14 lawyers and the ghetto's coming out of me and whatever. I just want to fight for Sarah and Jose. And here's my father. I'm getting like thousands of emails a day and I, dad's pops up. And the pride he had. Thank God I protected the Amadio names, he said. One of the reasons I go by Amadeo is because he goes by Amadio, and that's a story for another time. But the Amadio name was a big thing to my father. And, um, for whatever reason, a couple of years ago, don't know why, it was very weird. It was Father's Day. And for some reason, I'm not sure why in the moment, but I Facebooked my father. Dad, how you doing? Happy Father's Day. And he read the message and didn't reply. Ah, <laughs> oh, Christ. Anyway. I will tell you this. To my enemies out there. To the ones that hate me. To the ones that try to destroy my career and the ones that get pissed off and I make an issue out of everything when evidence is screwed over. I want you to remember something. I am a child of Willow Avenue. I am the nephew of Matthew Duke Neary. And I am the son of Bill Amadio Sr. And I want you to take that for what it is. Because when you come at me, whether we like it or not, do the math.
the jail visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. We are burned out. The live audience, you're furious, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, these cases are getting crazy. It's all going to come out. I can't believe... A prosecutor or a cop would hide evidence. No, they don't do that. Oh, my God. No. Oh, no, no. We have our own. Oh, there's so much I want to say right now, yeah. but I'm saving it for the motions. And, yeah. You know. I remember I used to, like, get threatened for grievances yeah. for um, doing Facebook Lives. But, I mean, imagine, like, destroying evidence. For exposing Whoa. the corruption. Aye, aye, aye. Anyway, guys. Tonight, I am so behind on content because I have not stopped working. I will tell you this. Tonight we're going to talk about the Jersey invasion. Do you know what that means? No, I have no idea. Were you concerned about that topic? I just don't know what it means. Okay. Can I explain? Yes. All right. So the Jersey invasion, guys, lately in Michigan, I've seen so many Jersey people in the gym. It's very weird. And it reminds me of 2004 when I came from Jersey to Michigan. It's a whole different world back then, right? And the Jersey would find each other. Today, I'm going to share some of those tales, how the whole Jersey thing started, and then explain how Jersey breakups work. Can you handle Did you do that? No, I didn't. Can you handle all this? Yeah, I guess. All right. All right, so first of all, I remember Jumpstart in 2004. That was, that was our orientation. Don't be stressed. Okay, go. Joe Abera, what up, B and D? He knows who the live audience is. Hey, Joe. The live audience says, "What's up, Joe?" So we came to Cooley, right? Cooley talked about, "I want you people to get to know each other. I want you guys to be diverse." And we have people from every state. So what they did was they put the signs up where your state was, and they put all the New Jersey people together. That <laughs> kind of like contradicted yeah, the whole thing, right? Kind of weird. So what I did. Don't ask me why. I stuck it to the Indiana group. Nobody knew anything. And the Indiana people were like, oh, what um, where's that accent from? And eventually I told them it was Jersey. So let's talk about Jersey people. First of all, we have these accents, right? Yeah, I get it. Like, this is not a Michigan tone. You, you agree with that, right? Yeah. And we have, like, this gated walk. You, you've seen with the broken walk. It's not intentional. It, it was, like, learned behavior, and it's still there. Is that okay? It doesn't... You walk like everybody. I don't All have right. a broken walk. But lately, I've been seeing tons of Jersey girls in the gym. And I'm seeing them, like, in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s. And the Jersey girls in the gym, they nod to you because they know you're Jersey. Like, they just tell you're, like, one of their own. <laughs> and I'm watching these poor Michigan boys fall in love with these girls and, like... I want to give them some advice today. Let me explain to you, as somebody who is a Jersey girl survivor, multiple times over. We have, like, like Alcoholics Anonymous, there's Jersey girl survivors. Hey, Brian Lundy's on. All your people are out today. You know, so, and I'm watching these poor Michigan boys. Like, they're, they're falling in love with these girls, and these girls are going to destroy them. Going to explain to you some Jersey girl things you need to know. 
Because some young lawyers come up to me and say, I really like this girl. She's from South Jersey. The first thing I do is cringe. I'm like, oh, what part of South Jersey is she from? And we talk. So, number one, let me tell you about the Jersey girls that these boys are very concerned about. Yes, Mike, it's Jersey Shore and Ann Arbor. <laughs> number one, the Jersey girl will stalk you. Now... I know a lot of these Michigan and Midwest boys, they're all pumped up thinking, oh, wow, I run into her in the same gym and the same restaurants. Okay, dude, she's stalking you. It's not a coincidence that you keep running into this person. And you know what? It's all fun and games while things are good. Oh, I kept seeing Sarah Smith. The problem is, guys, when the worm turns, oh, and it will turn, she's still going to stalk your ass. You're going to be wondering how she knew you were shooting hoops in that weird little basketball court at 1130 at night. Stalking is a complete trait of the Jersey girl. Brian Lundy says, hi, do you know who? Do you want to say hi, Brian? Yeah, hey, Brian. Live audience says, hi, Brian Lundy. Step two. In advice to these young people you're very impressed that the high hair pretty girl is aggressive i can't believe she made a move on me no girl's ever done that help she must really be into me okay stop let me help you here you are not the first guy she made a move on you probably won't be the last guy but it's a jersey trait in fact, if a Jersey girl does not make a move on you and you were the one that pursued her, she'll resent you for it. So you have to, like, switch roles. She has to make the move on you. Okay. You follow me here? Yeah, I get it. You be careful now if you go with these Jersey women. I want you to watch your ass. Okay. All right? Do not think because she made the move on you that you are special or unique. This is what she was told to do. When they're sitting there flicking their high hair... Drinking their coffee, talking with their Jersey accents, and they get real exaggerating with it. They're planning, guys. And these poor little Midwest boys. Nice, good-looking kid from an upper-middle-class family. He's not going to know what hit him. And this poor bastard, he's excited that the Jersey girl made a move. Bro, it's what she does. Okay. Let's talk about breaking up. The Jersey girls. When a Jersey girl breaks up with you, it's kind of like a celebration. They tell you who they're going to date, who they left you for, and it's almost like they're dancing. I left you for Antonio. I, I remember this girl did this to me one time. By the way, I was 16 years old. Antonio was like a 35 year old guy who was a pot dealer with a beer down the here. But him reminded me back then. They will so excited tell you who they're going out with why do you think this guy is better than you when you break out with a jersey girl doesn't quite work the same way okay step one for the kids out there if you break out with a jersey girl the first thing you have to do is make sure it was her idea and guys i get it it's your idea you want to get away you realize she's crazy right i, I hear you i've been there but you have to convince her that it was her idea to leave you. 
Now you could do this in a number of ways. Number one, to try to get away from her, you could try to introduce her to somebody who's a quasi-friend. So what you're trying to do is shift her alt somewhere else, that's, right? You feel me on that's that? That's right. Well, okay. I know it doesn't seem right, mm. but let me explain. There's a guy you lift weights with, or you play ball with, or you're in class with. You're not really good friends with this mm. guy. But once in a while, you guys associate with each other. And you see him checking out your Jersey girl. And you want to get rid of her. Now, you're not connected to this guy, because you're connected to him that's messed okay. up. You don't want to... I, I misunderstood. So it's the quasi-friend. So you do certain things to make sure to get alone with each other. And then one day, you find them, like, doing coffee. And you... Oh, my God! I can't believe it! You and Tim! Get the hell away. It works. Yeah. And then, even though you want to get rid of her, it was her idea, because she's now your friend. Yeah. So when she's making this poor bastard visible in four months, you're done. Another thing is the enemy. What you can do, what I've done before, is tell someone, I hate oh, so-and-so. When you can't stand somebody, the Jersey girl will be drawn to them. They always like your enemy. So when you want to get out of the situation... You tell her very clearly who your enemy is, and she will be into the enemy. Be careful posting on social media. I had this situation not too long ago. A Jersey girl said to me, how could you post pictures of your wife that hurt me so much? Well, the fact that you and I broke up in 2001... It's part of it. You know, I, I'm not with you anymore. You can't do that. But what they will do in the middle of the night, don't take this personal when it happens, they will post a picture of their new boyfriend and tag you if you're still Facebook friends with them. When this happens, please do not remove the tag. You have to exit the room slowly. Now, when you make a switch... With a Jersey girl? You want to get rid of one, right? You got to be careful how you do this. Let me help you out here, boys. I see a lot of you poor guys in the gym. You're getting sucked in. I've been there. I could be a counselor on this, all right? When you make the switch, you have to understand something. There are different types of Jersey girls. Number one, there's your cocktail waitress slash party girl. She's usually fun to hang out with until she starts blaming you for all her problems. There is the educated girl, like the Jersey girl yeah. lawyer. A lot of them come out here. Careful. And then there is the girl who is like the family girl. <laughs> the one that just wants to have children. So if you are dating the cocktail waitress, right? and you want to get away from the cocktail waitress, you have to systematically make a switch to either the educated Jersey girl or the family-type Jersey girl. If you go from cocktail server to cocktail server, they're going to make your life hell. When I say make your life hell, I mean like slit your tires. No, 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 no. 
you have to make a switch to somebody in one of the other two categories. And here's why, guys. The cocktail waitress, let's say you go from the cocktail waitress to the educator girl, the cocktail waitress will say, oh, well, he went with another geek. He was never cool enough for me anyway. They'll feel better about themselves. If you go from the educated girl to the family type girl, the educated girl will be cocky saying, oh, well, I'm too good for him. If you go from the family girl to the cocktail waitress, they'll say, oh, well, he wanted the party. That's why we didn't work out. But it has to be their idea. It's like the roommate switch on Seinfeld. Don't you dare try that. If you're going to make a switch, you've got to move it to a different category. This is no joke, Drew. Okay. Okay, I'm just telling you. There's recovery groups, right? Okay. You gotta watch yourself. Do not ever tell a group of guys when you're commiserating. When you are commiserating about the breakup with a Jersey girl, never share with other Jersey people your deepest, darkest secrets. Because I'm going to tell you right now, it's like the Catholic confessional. They're going to spread that stuff. Never ask a Jersey girl about her past. Never. You should do this to any woman, right? But I promise you, it's a common thread. If you ask her about her past, and she dated one of your friends, number one, you destroyed the relationship, right? Oh, God, I don't want to know who was what. I don't want to know the story before me, right? Ask Kara. I've never asked Kara about her past. I don't want to know. God, no, no, no. Ignorance is bliss. We all got a past, right? But I'm telling you, when the Jersey girl finds out that she dated one of your friends, she is going to try to make your life hell and this poor bastard's life hell. Because somehow it's your fault that her other relationship failed. Never show sadness to the Jersey girl. Listen to me, boys. This is like a wild animal in the prey scene weakness. Don't do it, man. If you are hurt, don't show it. Walk away. It's okay, you're human, you got emotions. I mean, I think I kind of lost mine a while ago, but you get what I'm saying. Do not show it. It'll chop you up. I think that's enough for right now. Do you have questions? No, that's good. It was educational and informative, yeah. right? Yeah. I remember, I'm not a big Jersey Shore guy, but Mike P mentioned Jersey Shore. I think it was Sammy, one of the girls on Jersey Shore. Remember one of the um, intros? She's like, when I sleep with a guy, I will chop his head off. Why would you do that? <laughs> okay, but that's typical. And what Jersey Shore and Jersey Licious and all that crap did was it highlighted the crazies that is the Jersey girl. And now I'm seeing them like, it's almost like, you know how the birds go south for the winter? These girls came to Michigan for the winter and I'm watching them. And I'm watching him torture these poor guys in the gym, and I'm laughing. I'm like, oh, I know. All you Midwestern boys out there, listen to me. My advice for you. Date a nice girl from Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. You gotta stay away from that Jersey Shore type. You gotta do it, guys. Not all of us could deal with it the way we did. Those of us that had it in our past were kind of, you know, centered around it. We learned how to deal with it. Stay away. I know you're drawn to it. I understand. 
I've been there. I'm here to help. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. It's been a long day. Up in Cadillac and it's like kind of rolled back some memories. I know today we're known as um, this top-notch firm and... Grable's always been known as a top-notch firm, but before things took off, the story was a little different. And all I could do right now is equate this to, like, playing in the minor leagues when I started Law. What we used to do, we're not going to name names. No names will be named. You guys hear that? No names. <clears throat> what I used to do, we would travel to courts all across the state when I started with, when I started with Grable and Associates, Scott would send me everywhere. I thought it's just what people did. Eventually, local lawyers get really pissed off. He kept showing up. And this was amazing. I learned all these different courts, right? It was really cool. You travel three hours from home and learn about all these different courts. And hey, Christy Curry. And uh, what I decided to do. As a way to save money, which, by the way, it blew up in my face. So me and these other lawyers <clears throat> would travel all over the place. We just had to get a different court-appointed list back then. And um, we decided to just make a road trip out of this. One day I would drive. One day this lawyer would drive. One day the other lawyer would drive. And we would try to, like, you know, we're in this county, the next county, the next county. Let's bag out all these cases together. And I was pretty excited about that. <clears throat> the problem is when you get talking to people on like three, four hour trips, you start to learn that you might be the normal one in the room. And I'm going to share some of the stories from when I was driving the Saturn View with the CD player and how one day one of the guys had Spotify and things changed and that was like cutting edge. But let's start with this. There's three of us, right? We're going out to Tawas. <laughs> Tawas was about three hours and 15 minutes away. And one of my agendas on these trips was to get the cheapest possible hotel you could. However, I was always a good tipper. And Matt would say things to me like, how did you spend $18 on the room, but $25 on the meal? And you gotta keep in mind now, I was getting really hungry at this point. When I say hungry, I was looking for cases everywhere. Things were out of control. So, when you're driving long distances with people, things get weird, right? You start letting your guard down. They let their guard down. And the one guy had Spotify before we all had Spotify, right? I mean, I live by Spotify, or the Spotify version of it. I was like, holy sh- because what I used to do was put YouTube on my phone, plug it into the car, or I had my CD player. Now, this guy has a Spotify thing, and he tells me you can listen to any song you want. I'm like, oh my god! So we're playing all this music, trying up the Tawas in the snow. And I start, this is my fault. I had these two lawyers in the car. Very weird guys. We're not friends today. But I was the one, I was friends with them back then, so let's do this whole tour of Michigan thing. And back then I was kind of like their leader, and 
we were all good to go, but there's this one song that's playing. I laugh and I'm chuckling. They go, what's up? I said, oh, well, this song reminds me of this ex-girlfriend. So every song that came up reminded me of an ex-girlfriend or a situation in Jersey. And I thought it was funny. So listen to these stories. Well, here's Champagne High. Let me tell you about that. Here's everything you want. Let me tell you about that. So every song, I'm telling like this five-minute story. Now, one of the things these guys would do when I was driving is they were drinking the back. As they were drinking this really cheap liquor, remember, we weren't making shit back then, they let their guard down, and they would start telling stories. So this one guy goes, can I play a song and tell you a story? Yeah, please, go ahead. Let, I, I want to hear what you got to say. Let me shut up. So he says, I'm going to play a song about this girl I love. And he starts crying. Oh my God, this is good. What's this? Why is this guy crying? He's like, oh, she meant so much to me and this song's so meaningful. And I'm like, okay. Um, what's the song? So he goes, do you know the band Phoenix TX? I'm like, oh yeah, sure. I know Phoenix TX. I know what song you're going to play. You're going to play KDW. He goes, no, no, no. That's a good song. That's not the song. That was not our song. Okay. The other guy says, you're going to play All My Fault. Cause, and that's a good song, but it's kind of poppy, right? It's like, no, you guys are missing the point. Now keep in mind, here's this guy sucking on his $6 bottle of whiskey, drunk as hell, crying about this ex-girlfriend. So I said, what song from Phoenix TX are you going to play? And he says, threesome. What? Now, Threesome is a good song, but I never viewed it as a romantic song. I was telling these tales of crazy stories, and he's telling me Threesome, so then he's really drunk. And he starts telling me why Threesome is the song he's thinking of with his ex-girlfriend. You can do the math. But it was pretty... Like, why? Uh, that same guy... He was on the prowl, right? He wanted to find different girls. He had this idea, like, out of county, the women were beautiful and this and that. So one day, we're um, doing court appointment work, and there's a mental health court program. And there's this woman in there. Very pretty woman. But she is in the mental health court. <laughs> Let's start with that. I'm a big proponent of the mental health court. Any mental health court's important. But you have to be careful. You shouldn't date clients to begin with, but certainly not ones that are in the mental health court. There's a lot of red flags with her. So he starts rearranging his schedule around the mental health court schedule, and they end up together. That relationship did not work out. Another weird thing that happened was, and again, remember, we weren't making much money back then, but I always tipped well. I was always tipping well because I bartended. So what I would do is wherever we went to a hotel, no matter what hotel we went to, I would always leave $5 for housekeeping. It's just the right thing to do, right? Housekeepers got to make their tips. So one day, me and this one guy are in a room together. I leave the $5. I go shave, I come out, 
<laughs> There's three ones in the fire squad. <laughs> he stole the housekeeper's tip. And he left three ones to pocket two bucks. And, you know, this is a weird situation. Like, do you call the guy out on this? <laughs> it's like, wait, did you steal the housekeeper's tip? He's like, oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, I left the five. When we left, I only saw three ones there. And he just changed the subject. One of the things you would do on these long trips, too, is you got, you'd find ways to save money, right? So you're going to split things up. Remember one day, I'm with these two lawyers. And I can't stress enough, this was like the minor leagues, right? We're traveling all over the place for dog money. I tell the one guy, hey, I'll pay for gas. You buy lunch. And lunch would consist of a sandwich and a Gatorade at the gas station. So, I felt the gas tank. We're driving to our next court. Whatever. And I'm like, hey, I'm really I'm getting a little hungry now. What'd you get? Goes, oh, it's in the bag. Okay. In the bag was like this one thing of like jerky strips, a thing of Tic Tac, and a Gatorade bottle that he drank half out of. There's very few things you want to hear in life when you're driving. One of them is, one of them you don't want to hear is, hey, we're getting pulled over. The second thing is, hold this. Now, as you know, I never smoked weed in my life. And it's also very clear that many lawyers have substance abuse issues. One day we're driving down the highway, and we are stopped by the Michigan State Police. And the driver is freaking out. He throws this thing. He goes, hold it. I don't know what it is. And I'm sitting here like, dude, I'm not holding your drugs. Cop comes up. Cop knew me. Didn't know the other two. So the cop's like, well, I mean, I know Bill's not using drugs. <laughs> oh, man. You know... Back during the poor part of criminal, we used to like put two, three guys in a room or whatever to save money. And I had a bad snoring problem back then. Before the CPAP and getting in the gym and all of that, I mean, I was out of shape and I'm snoring real bad. And I go to bed early. You know, we had like two beds and a little couch in this one like red roof in. And now yeah, we're all, you know, watching a game, I'm going to crash, those guys are doing their thing. We got court 8 o'clock in the morning. 5 o'clock in the morning, there's this woman standing by the bed, right? And she's pushing me, and I'm like, what the hell? And she screams, you're snoring too loud, shut up! I'm like, what the hell is this? And the guy I was rooming with says, oh, that's Rosa, I met her at the bar. Oh, man. One time I went to stop at a casino. I was all excited, right, about this casino. You know, and you think these lawyers, you're bonding with them. And this one lawyer, he was, like, fighting guests, right? He's screaming at the guests. He's pissed off. He's drunk. He's going to kick the shit out of this poor guest. 
I'm thinking that character witness issues coming up, but we're in an area where there's a casino. And I want to see this casino, man. I want to go play poker. I'm burned out. We're starting to make a little money at this point. And he says, no, we're not going to the casino. We can't run a mission. He was driving that day. So he drives like all like 40 miles out of the way. And I said, what are we doing? Because we're going to see the world's largest ball of yarn. At this point in the game, I start realizing to myself, holy sh**. Here was the problem with Krim Law, guys. 2017, I didn't have for money, right? And by like 2018 and a half, we're making big money, but I don't realize it. I just keep, I'm taking cases everywhere and I'm just throwing the checks in. I'm not thinking about anything. Well, me and these guys start drifting apart because I'm getting these bigger cases. They're getting pissed off. I mean, listen, when we went on these trips, my goal was to learn every single court, to learn all these courts, have this vast amount of experience, kick ass in all these courts, make a name for myself. I just said, hey, let's strive together. It was a cost-saving endeavor. For some of them, it was a Thelma and Louise moment. You know, this was her chance to get out of the house, make a little money. And I'm sad to say we're not friends today. We're in different circles. They're both lawyers somewhere else, and I wish them well. And if they're watching this, hey, no hard feelings, man. There's a lot of weird shit. Like, I gotta tell you, on those road trips, you taught me that I was the normal one. And that is concerning. I'm Bill Amadeo. I approve this. Later. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.